welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation, so we can grow in our relationship with God. in Luke chapter 17 starting in verse 1 and last time we looked at the message titled the rich man Lazarus fascinating you know Jesus taught a lot of parables but with the rich man Lazarus he assigned a name that it was a certain rich man and there was Lazarus and he spoke about and he did this a lot remember the the populace at the time didn't have the education that we have in the United States so Jesus would have to reach people without education, right? He would tell them, hey, this event happened over here. Well, let me tell you a spiritual analogy to it. So he could reach everyone. He could reach the highly educated. He could reach the uneducated. So in the rich man Lazarus, he shares this event with us. And the coolest thing is that um, there were nine false teachings that I came up with that we hear today, right, about death. What happens after death? And people have all these different ideas. You hear different things said at funerals. But we actually are able to dismantle and dispel, based on what Jesus said, a lot of these false doctrines. So I, I encourage you, if you didn't hear it, definitely get it off the website because people do ask a lot of these questions, especially when a loved one perishes. Is, is this happening? What are, are they conscious? Like all these kind of things. So check that out. Today, the message is titled, Divine Intervention Needed Here. And Jesus, you know, could you imagine walking with Jesus, like every time he taught, he could be talking about marriage, he could talk about friendship, he could talk about forgiveness, he could talk about end times and the end of the world kind of stuff. Um, So you never knew what you were going to get. It must have been an exciting time to walk with Jesus. So in this message, Jesus shares some things with his disciples that he has an expectation with the followers, with us as followers, of how we conduct ourselves in the world because we carry his name. That's a pretty high bar to meet. And we'll see the struggles that the disciples had as they answered him after hearing what he had to say. So divine intervention needed here, absolutely. When the Lord calls us to do something that we might find difficult, we have to call on him even more to help us and to strengthen us to continue his name and his word. So we're going to jump in using four parts. Starting with verse 1. It said, Then he, Jesus, said to the disciples, It is impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. Only two verses. But the first uh, section is, the first part is, enticing others to sin. So what are we talking about here? So we're going to break it down, right? But I do love the pragmatism. Jesus says, it's a sinful world. Thanks to mankind pulling away from God. I mean, gee, read the paper. Go home and look at your internet news. (laughs) Almost all bad news, right? And this is throughout the world, not just our country. So Jesus said, sin will come. Right, Because this is what the human race has chosen apart from God. However, however, woe to you if it comes through you. 
We're going to look at that. So let's check this out. Offenses. The word in the Greek is scandalon. Interesting. We get the word scandal from this word. Uh, and it literally, back in the day, if you were to trap an animal for meat, uh, what you would do is you would use a scandalon. It was sort of a trip stick or a trap stick. And the animal would bump it maybe through bait and the trap would fall on the animal. So the, the scandal or the scandalon was something to trap. And we think today we use the word stumbling block, where you even may read something in the news. Maybe you're considering God, and you read about a clergy member who did something awful. And you're, you're tempted to not go to God because his so-called representative did something that was egregious. So there's this, this, this temptation or this trying to trap somebody either into sin or to pull further away, away from God. Verse 2, it says, The little ones... This can be translated the little ones, the less ones, or the least ones. Now, what happens, some of these teachings, it's like in my mind, there's so many uh, parts to this because what Jesus does in some of these teachings, it's almost like a broad-spectrum antibiotic. It kind of covers everything, right? It covers um, thing, people doing things to little children that they shouldn't do, right? Uh, it talks about even the vulnerable in society, um, but it also speaks about the vulnerable spiritually, the unbeliever, the new believer, like I said, the person who's considering God, but runs into some of the Lord's so-called representatives and is turned off to God because of this so-called representative. Right? So there's a lot to this. Um, I think about the corrupting of the minds of children. Some of the things I'm reading about and seeing about and hearing some of the uh, curriculum and some of these schools, and I'm like, teach the kids reading, writing, and math. Why do you have to sexualize kindergartners, for heaven's sake? There's things that I can tell you that are going on that I can't even say from the pulpit because you would rebuke me after service and said you shouldn't have said that. That was just too graphic. But these are the things that are going on. So listen, do whatever you want with your life. This is America. But why do you have to force what you do, especially sexual stuff, on children? And it's evil. And they make, so if you're wondering where Pastor Joe stands on some of these things, now you know. You know, leave the kids alone, okay? Um, and and there's, no, there's no good reason for any of this stuff. Um, another scandal on, or another trap is, let's look at the context. Jesus was talking about corrupt religious leaders. He was talking to them. He was talking about them. He said it right in front of their face. You wonder why they wanted to have him killed. But... Jesus was trying to bring people to the understanding of needing a Savior and dying for the sins of the world on the cross and for people to find their way to heaven through that sacrifice. The religious system wanted to go on in perpetuity. They liked it. They liked the money. They liked rubbing elbows. Just You can see that today in some, some respects, right? Um, so the, the scandal on spiritually was the fact that the religious system was trying to pull people away from their need for the Savior and to pull them away from the cross. And today, folks, today, um, you see that as well, right? You, you could listen to going to some churches, listen to some teachings, and there's nothing about Jesus, sin, the blood of Christ, the cross, any of those things, the way to get to heaven. So, I think we covered a lot here. Uh, and the bottom line is people are going to fall into these traps, but woe if you're the person that sets up the trap, right? Um, I would just say this. Be the person to help someone not get caught up in the trap. Don't be the person. You know, listen, growing up, I, 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 lived in a, I was in a godless home. I was in a rough area, and 
believe me, there were those friends that my mom would try to talk me out of hanging out with because they were always trying to get us in trouble, right? So, but you can see that in a spiritual sense as well. A lot of applications here. And lastly is that the punishment, and people see this, they, maybe they even read about a clergy person who died of an old age and then they find out they did these awful things and they, they get mad because where's, where's the justice, right? We want justice. You think that person stepped into eternity, you think God's going to, he's going to ignore that, right? This stuff is going to come to light. But what did he say? That it would be better for that person if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Now, if you could put up the image of the millstones, my wife and I, um, every once in a while, we go to like this all-air state park. Those are millstones. Some of those millstones are like five, six feet in diameter, um, I go to the gym. I can't lift up one of those things, right? So what they used to do is they used to use them to, for various reasons, sometimes to grind uh, the grain and, and make the flour for the bread. Uh, but, you know, so these things are, they're just still sitting there. They need uh, heavy equipment to move them. But could you imagine in the judgment, Jesus said, a better option. I think we forget this. It's not like, it, we, Jesus isn't saying that in the judgment he's just going to hang a bunch of millstones over people's necks and throw them into the water. What he's saying is this is a better option than stumbling the little ones and then standing before God in judgment on repentance. Now, I don't know about you, but I guess I have, my mind goes, I always try to like take these things to the extreme. Could you imagine, first of all, like I almost drowned a few times. I'm not a fan of like deep water because I'm not a great swimmer, but if that was the case and one of these things were hung around our neck and we were thrown into the sea, we could do this the whole time. We're, we're going down at the bottom. So Jesus said that's a better option than somebody who harms these little ones. Amen? So pretty powerful picture. No one who does wickedness gets away with it because they all have to stand before God. And as I said in my opening, that school, that school uh, Christian school shooter has all those little nine-year-olds behind him and they're completely protected while that shooter has to stand before God in judgment. So nobody got away with anything. Uh, we'll see those little kids in eternity. Uh, continuing on, verse 3. Jesus said, Take heed to yourselves. Take heed to yourselves, disciples. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. So two is the sin, repent, and forgive continuum or timeline. You can go on this kind of continuum and go back and forth depending where you are in that situation. I'm going to explain that. And he's basically saying, uh, take heed to yourselves, right? Not only don't set the trap, the, the first part, but don't fall into this trap, right? Don't fall into this trap of unforgiveness. So the truth is, and we can say this for each one of ourselves, right? Is there's times that we will sin against someone else. And then there are times that others will sin against us because we're sinners. This happens a lot. There will be times that we will want forgiveness. And then there's times that we, will, we should forgive, I, I say this especially to 
couples. I, I'm doing, I did like five weddings last year. I got a few coming up this year. And I always coach the, especially the young couple and say, marriage is a series of offending each other and then asking for forgiveness, right? Uh, because you put two sinners in a house and tell them, build your life. And this is a constant thing. Sometimes they're bigger offenses. Sometimes they're smaller offenses. Sometimes you're on the receiving end of forgiveness. Sometimes you're giving the forgiveness. And we have to look at this in our lives and not be hypocritical. We just want the good things. But when we do wrong, we also have to fall on the sword, so to speak, not literal, and, um, and, and ask for forgiveness and repent. There's an expression. This is an incredible expression. It says, He who cannot forgive breaks the bridge over which he himself must pass. That's powerful. Jesus was very serious about forgiveness. Um, And I've learned over the years, me personally, not to be petty, not to be easily triggered, not to be part of the perpetually offended culture that we live in. Um, It's just... It's just, and, and nobody wants to come into the church and walk on eggshells because that's one person is super sensitive. So this goes in both directions, right? Sometimes we make a big deal out of things that are ridiculous. You know, a person comes in, you're like, how you doing this morning? What did you mean by that? Today, <laughs> hey, I'm just asking how you doing. <laughs> Next time I'll avoid you, you know what I'm saying? So, you know, there's extremes on both ends here. Um, but let's look at the steps, right? A sin takes place. James did that to me this morning. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> a sin takes place, right? Uh, if it happens to you, make sure you do this, okay? So make sure you go through the church, if, if someone offends you, and gossip to 20 people and put it all over social media. I was hoping I was going to get that response. Of course, don't do that. <laughs> and people do do that. And then when the person who uh, did the offense, wants to actually really repent, now everything's complicated. Because you went and told all these people, now you've got to run back and tell all of them, no, no, it's okay, it's okay, don't say anything. It's not the right... This is why God's ways are always the best ways. When we do things because we're hurt and we're not thinking clearly, we do things that make the problem even worse, right? And we, and we shouldn't do that. The Bible says to rebuke the offender. And people say... Well, I'm non-confrontational. Yeah, but you confronted all those other people and filled their ear. You, you were brave enough to do that. Um, what about when it comes back to you? And listen, I, I like to offer solutions. I would say this. Say something to... Like, I don't know what to say, Pastor Joe. Right? People have counseled with me. I said, why don't you say this? Hey, that was really wrong. Um, you really hurt my feelings. You know, it, it really wounded me. It, it's, it's just... I, I just... We know we, I really want to work this out with you. Something simple like that. You don't have to be aggressive. You don't have to be mean. You should probably cool off and pray about how to do it. But today we live in a society where people just, and you hear it, right? They go, I'm sorry, and now you've got to forgive me. That's manipulative, you know what I'm saying? Uh, Jesus says to repent. So what does that look like? What does that look like? It means it's a change of heart in one's attitude and their actions. And then the person gets to forgive. Now, this is interesting that people are like, wow, Jesus said that? It's almost like there's a sort of a precondition of repentance because you could fall into this rut of, especially when it comes to restoration, full restoration of the two parties. You get to fall into this rut of possibly manipulation. You know, is the person repentant? Are they sincere? 
right? Uh, are, are they willing to change that behavior, especially if it's something that could physically hurt you? So there's a lot of things. And then the people ask me, what if they don't repent? Well, Matthew 18 has some options. Matthew 18, you could go to a person that both of you, right? You were offended, person uh, offended you. You could go to a mutual, it doesn't have to be somebody in a church, maybe somebody mutually who's a spiritual person that uh, you both respect and you sort of kind of go before that person and say, hey, we're at an impasse, right? And there's this, these steps. Matthew 18 can also, and we've done it here at the church. Um, you know, you go before somebody in the church and, and they try to be objective in the situation and see how they can help you resolve the situation. So there's that option. Here's another option is that you can always forgive even if they don't repent. And listen, we, we hear about these stories, and I, I'm just so blown away because the media is always negative. Well, you should never say always and never. All right, they're often negative, but sometimes a person, uh, and it's, it's in the courts, and the camera's in the courts, and maybe they lose a family member through a crime, and the person goes, and after a certain amount of the trial the person who lost the family member says, listen, they say to the judge, I, I never met the person, uh, I never had a conversation with them, but you know, the Lord has helped me to forgive them. I, I find that exceptional. Not everybody can do that. And you know what? Sometimes I say forgiveness is a problem. Now, that person may not have repented, but the person who is offended and wronged chooses to forgive anyway and not just have that, those feelings all the time inside of them. Um, I often say that repentance is a process. I remember that um, early on in being a pastor, there was a situation with me, and I would literally pray, I'm not, maybe not daily, but weekly. And I would go to the Lord, me and him, and I'd say, Lord, you know where I'm going. It's still in there. I can, I'm really having a hard time forgiving this person, and I'm supposed to go up and preach that your truths from the pulpit and I would beg the Lord help me to forgive this person it took a few months but eventually I did and I'm, I'm good right um, and and I just try to especially being a teacher in, in my heart sometimes I'll read a scripture like this and in my mind I'll scroll my past is anybody I haven't forgiven and you know maybe there's no even way to contact them and I just like you know what Lord I'm just gonna just help me like just help me to, to do that now there's also something called restoration, right? You look at this continuum, right? There's the sin, there's the rebuke, uh, there's the uh, repentance, there's the forgiveness. There's one step here that is not covered here, but when you take the Bible in totality, it is. It's called full restoration, where the people come back together as if nothing ever happened. Um, that thing, that is also, listen, Forgiveness is a process. Um, and I use the example, my son is 23, he doesn't need to be babysat anymore, but we, we did have some babysitters we trusted. Uh, but if we had a babysitter that maybe was always on their phone and not watching him and, you know, he bumped his knee and, okay, and then the next time he falls down the stairs, I could forgive that babysitter. But if I don't see a repentance, I'd be stupid next Saturday night to say, oh, here, take my five-year-old again. Because they haven't changed. Again, I may not harbor any bad feelings. I may have completely forgiven them. But the full restoration is not there because they're irresponsible. You see? What, what I don't want, and, and when you look at all of Jesus's, I don't believe he wants us as Christians to be dummies, to check our mind at the door and just become doormats for people. 
But there are some that are so set in their ways, they'll hear what I just said and go, good. You know, I'm, I'm good about feeling the way I do and having those. That's not what I said. Right? We have to read the Scripture in context. So there's a lot to this when we look at it. And here's a caveat. It's my old profession coming, rearing its head again. Um, if something horrible happens, right? If you're supposedly someone's a Christian, maybe a tear could come in the church, right? And try to make merchandise of people or try to get something. So if you, person sort of seemed like they might have been a brother or sister, and somehow they swindled you out of your bank account or a date rape situation or a person threatens violence, go to the authorities. <laughs> the authorities are there for a reason, Romans 13. They could be predators. They may not be a brother or sister in Christ. Now, it hasn't happened a lot, but there has been times where I have asked people to leave this church. We had a, a woman who, was, uh, who didn't have need but kept going to elderly people to try to get money from them because... There just is a lot of nice people in this church. And I confronted that person, and it went on, and it wouldn't stop. And I said, you, you got to leave. And it was simple. You know, I don't do it that much, but I'm not going to let that happen to you. Just like with the security thing. People can take advantage of you in different ways. So there's a lot to this, isn't there? Um, now, again, here are the, the extremes. The extremes are... Someone who's predatory and manipulative, and they don't really care. They're not going to repent. They're just looking to get something out of you. Uh, two, being petty. Don't be so sensitive. So there's, there's those extremes and then actual things that happen somewhere in the middle. 1 Corinthians 6, the Apostle Paul rebuked the Corinthian church because nobody could solve any problems. This church was a mess. Like when you read 1 Corinthians, this was... The, the, any, anything, the worst thing that could happen in a church happened in Corinth, right? So Paul was beside himself, and his letter reflects how bothered he was that this church couldn't do anything right. And it's, uh, he said in 1 Corinthians 6 that, you know, you're all suing each other. You're all going to heathen judges over these disputes. I, like nobody in the church has any judgment that can solve these problems. Don't you know in, in, in the afterlife, if you're truly a Christian, you'll judge angels. Powerful statement. So um, as a church, we, we, we have faith, but God also wants us to use our brain. There's a lot to this. Um, he says... Verse 4, he said, well, if your brother or your sister, like nobody gets away with this, <laughs> he says, if they sin seven times in a day and say, I repent, you, you forgive them. Again, a little hyperbole there, uh, but what he's saying is very, very clearly, don't be stingy with your forgiveness. Some of you might want to talk to me after service about some of this, but it's, it's process, you know. Um, some things are easy to forgive. Some things are really, really painful and wound us deeply. And it, it's a process, okay? Um, I would never say as a pastor, you need to forgive right now. Who am I to say that? That's something you have to work out with your, with your creator. And um, the impossible becomes possible. Verse 5, continuing on, And the apostle said to the Lord, I love this, Increase our faith. So the Lord said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted into the sea, and it would obey you. Three, impossible without God's help. So the disciples are, um, they're struggling. They hear, and this would happen, you know, frequently from time to time. Jesus would share a very difficult teaching, 
And the disciples would be like, we're just men. We're just human beings. Ladies, men, we, this is hard. So increase our faith, Lord. It's hard to live by these standards. And even when we have a Savior, and we, we're definitely going to heaven, right? We've trusted in Christ as our Lord and Savior. We still need Him for day-to-day life. We still need the Holy Spirit. We still need to say at times, and I've done this, this looks like an impossible situation. Lord, I need your help. Right? And if we have a relationship with God, we should be having these discussions. Right? As something that He wants us to do, of course, He's going to help us. Um, I, I have to, again, laugh with the Sermon on the Mount, is that some people, they talk about the Sermon on the Mount as if they really haven't read it. They romanticize it. And Sermon on the Mount is serious business. Jesus says, even if you don't do the action, if you mull on it in, in your mind and you think about doing it, you, you know, it's something bad that you want to do, you've already sinned in your mind. So the people, if they were really paying attention, if we're paying attention, like, oh my goodness. But what was he doing? He was priming the populace. He's priming us today to say, there's a vacuum. There's a righteousness vacuum in all of our hearts. And you need a Savior. So that's what he did. He would show the, the deficit, and then he would say, I have something that can fill that deficit. Right? Um, I would also throw this in there. Sometimes you got these, and you watch some of these preachers, that they take this out of context, the Scripture twisters. Whether they're moving mulberry trees or moving mountains, they preach as if God wants to give them the power to actually do these things. And they miss the part that God is supposed to be empowering them to help these interpersonal relationships. And you've, you've heard some of these preachers. You would think that they're su- the supermen, you know, the, the Christian version of the X-Men or something. Um, and they totally missed the point. We're going to see that in the last section. But the mustard seed seems like nothing. And faith as a mustard seed seems like nothing. But it's the backing of that small faith, which is God Himself. So it isn't the, the faith in, in the faith, and you hear that. You have to increase your faith. And some of these teachings, you're, incre- you're supposedly increasing your faith by saying these mantras. It's, it's taken from Eastern religions, right? Um, and there's no Jesus, there's no power of God. Remember, faith has to be in something. Faith has to be, there's got to be an object of the faith. And that object of the faith is the living God. That's why Jesus is saying, listen, you can't even see the speck of faith that is able to do these things. Why? Because you're putting the object in your, of your faith in God. And all you need is that little speck. Let me throw this. The, the person who hangs their head and barely has the strength to receive Christ as their Savior, with that small amount of faith, get saved. Get saved. And I've seen it. They, they want to say the sinner's prayers. And they're so beaten down by life and their situation, I can barely hear them. And they barely have enough faith. But they want Jesus Christ in their life. And you know what? They're saved. They get the same salvation that we get. And that's an awesome thing. So... We look at this, uh, Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. Something interesting happens in this scripture. Paul says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. Faith is actually a vehicle, faith is a conduit. And that not of yourselves, guys, it's not of yourselves, this moving mountain things. It is the gift of God, not of works. It's not even that. You can't work your way up to this. Lest anyone should boast. 
And he says, we are the workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So faith is the vehicle to receive. It's almost like God's power is up there, you know, and faith is the shoot that, that is able to take that, those blessings or whatever you need to do, the forgiveness, and for it to come down and for us to receive that. It's pretty awesome stuff. Last few verses, verse 7. It says, And which of you, Jesus says, having a servant plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, Oh, come at once and sit down to eat. So this is the guy who's the landowner. We talked about some of these parables. And his hired servant is doing things in the field. So the landowner, he's going to say, Oh yeah, come at once and sit down to eat. But will he not rather say to him, Prepare something for my supper and gird yourself and serve me till I have eaten and drunk. And afterward, you will eat and drink. Or will you, you will eat and drink. Then does he thank the servant because he did the things that were commanded him? Or I would say expected of him. I think not. So likewise you, when you have done all those things which you are commanded, say we are unprofitable servants or unmeritorious servants. We're going to get to that. We have done what was our duty to do. So four out of four has got it, but be careful of pride. And I would say be careful of praise as well. Now, in today's culture, and this is why you can't, um, you have to do exegesis, not eisegesis. In other words, you have to say, go back to the time that Jesus taught. What were the circumstances? What was the context? I need to learn what he's trying to tell me. In American culture, and people do this, this is why they attack the Bible in the universities. I've coached a lot of college students I said, be careful how much you argue with your professor because they're vindictive and they will fail you if they don't like what you say. So be as wise as a serpent and gentle as a dove. Okay, and I've seen this with college students that have come to me. So I, I give them the feed. I said, I'll, I'll debate your professor. I have no problem doing that. Uh, because they take the context out of what Jesus is saying. So in our culture, if you eisegete, you read American culture, which doesn't know what it's doing, into the scripture, you're always going to be confused. Remember what I said of those who were uneducated, Jesus had to say, almost like, hey, look over there, there's a funeral ceremony. Hey, let me make a spiritual truth. Oh, look, there's a wedding ceremony. Or he will say, hey, you see that guy, everybody knows him. He's probably got 50 people that he's hired to do his work because he's wealthy and he employs them. If he says these things, do you think he'll say it this way or that way? So Jesus was a servant. Jesus came to serve. Jesus came to die for our sins. Jesus isn't saying that what the guy was doing is right or wrong. It's not a moral judgment. He's saying, look at that situation. Now let me make a spiritual analogy. Okay? And remember, when we, I think probably the hardest parable for people to grasp is the one, the shrewd servant. Why would Jesus talk about this guy like this? He's objectively looking at the situation, he would use world events to help people living in the world as Christians to navigate the world, right? Powerful stuff here. So let's go into this. Um, he's basically saying to us is be careful of pride. Be careful of pride. Now, the first uh, scenario where Jesus says, well, wouldn't the the guy who's, the, you know, the landowner, say to the servant, hey, you were in the field all day. Oh, why don't you come in here? I'm going to make dinner for everybody. So the people would have went, 
No, that wouldn't happen. And Jesus then said, he corrected it, and he said, well, wouldn't he rather say this? Okay? And the point he's trying to make is that, that we, as believers, the parallel here is that we don't get big heads uh, in Christianity. Now, 2,000 years of Christianity, I'm going to say that this is probably, based on my study of Christian history, maybe the last 100 years, give or take, is this idea that Christianity has rock stars, celebrity pastors. You see it. You see some of the things that are said from the pulpit. You don't do these things for God. You do them for yourself, Victoria Osteen said, and I quote directly. Um, No, you don't. You do them because you understand who God is and that He saved you and you want to devote your whole life to serving Him. See, I put that in context. You know that Pastor Joe and his board... In the, end, in, the, in the event of my demise, I die, because everybody dies, we have a plan to keep Calvary Chapel Crossfields running. So Calvary Chapel Crossfields and God don't need me. If I die, somebody else will fill my shoes, and this church will continue to... Those are my wishes, in case anybody was wondering. You know, if you're at the... I don't, he didn't tell me anything. I don't know anything. But I do this at home, too. I say to my wife, you know, I, I handle a lot of the online banking and stuff. And recently I said, okay, I did it because my handwriting's sloppy. I did it on a Word document. These are the passwords. These, you know, if I die, here you go. I don't want you scrambling through. I'm just a prepared type of person. But you know what I do know? I know that I'm expendable, right? I'm expendable. Look at the heroes of faith in Hebrews. There were good people who died young that were martyred by evil people, but they were praising God in their last moments. They, God says, even though they lost their lives, they weren't failures. They were heroes of faith, men and women. Good stuff. So the point is that we have to understand this. The Scripture twisters focus on the moving of the mountains or the mulberry trees, but they miss the context of what Jesus was trying to say. You know, if honestly, if I said, hey, let's all go down to the park. It is some big mountain. I'm going to try moving that thing. Why, Pastor? You should say to me, why would you want to do that? Now, if it's something that glorifies God and doesn't glorify me, that's a different story. You know, why do we, what are our motives for doing the things that we do? And here he is talking to a band of men and women, a small band that were going to start, was going to start some movement that was going to grow to billions. So he was basically telling to them, don't get a big head. Remember who you are in your standing when you compare yourself with a living God. Amen? Amen. So self-praise, pride, um, it, it just it doesn't belong there. Verse 10, he says, So likewise, when you have done all these things which you are commanded. See, say we are unprofitable servants. We have just done our, what was our duty to do. So the word unprofitable can be translated unmeritorious. Now we get into that word merit, which is very interesting. Sometimes in the church and in Christian culture, people want to earn their way to greatness. Do we remember when Jesus was walking with the disciples? And he's like, "Uh, so what are you guys talking about? Jesus knew everything that they were doing. He just wanted to to get it out of them, hear from themselves. Oh, Lord, we were talking about who's going to be the greatest. And oh, our, our mom, James and John, she wants to know if one of us can sit on your right hand and one on the left, uh, left side in the coming kingdom. 
Can you believe they asked that question? <laughs> well, I've been, I've been reading the Bible for 30 years. I probably would have asked that question too. But Jesus is like, you don't understand what grace, greatness is. You don't understand what it looks like. And that's not for you to give. That's for the Father to give out. You know what I'm saying? And truly, you want to be great? You've got to drink the cup that I, I'm drinking. You have to bear the burdens. You have to serve others. You have to serve each other. What was the big thing that he did a few hours before he was arrested on his last night with disciples? He washed their feet. And he taught them what it meant to wash feet. Somehow, in, in the Christian culture, in the glitz and the glam of some of these big ministries, man, they lost that. That's completely lost on them. They're too focused on moving mountains for no reason. Or getting uh, more hangers full of jet planes. You know? So, um, we, we, have to, we have to keep this, right? John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in Him would not perish, but have eternal life. That's beautiful. And when you really understand, say, wow, He would save me. Not only did He die for my sins all the way up to this point of me receiving Him, but He died for my sins from this point all the way to the day that I die and I go to be with them. And I should know better because I'm a Christian. And even the things I think, he, He died for those sins. When you start really letting that sink in, you don't get prideful, right? So it isn't like in the world. And God bless you. If you're climbing the ladder of success in the world, God bless you. But it doesn't work the same way when it comes to the things of God. Amen? Amen. So, divine intervention needed here is the title. Do you think we need some divine intervention in 2023 in American culture, in the Northeast? You betcha. <laughs> you know, to forgive people, to, and we're, as people of faith, faith, we're being slandered more by famous people for what we believe. We're being uh, ridiculed by our peers more because the culture shifts. And honestly, people are like sheep. So the culture goes this way because you don't want to be ostracized. You just virtue signal and you go with it because you don't want to be ostracized. And part of that going with it is an attack on the Bible. It's an attack on God. It's an attack on people of faith. And I believe if the Lord tarries, we're going to see more of this. Um, and, you, you know, sometimes you just look up and say, Lord, I, I'm, I, you know, I love that person. I, I, I did everything I was supposed to do. Why am I being treated like this? Lord, increase our faith. So, um, Almost impossible sometimes to be a person of faith and live to the Lord's standards in such an upside-down world. Hence, that is why we need to stay close to Him and receive more of His Holy Spirit and pray for more of His Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father in Heaven, Lord, You're so awesome. You're so good. We love Your Word. Lord, I love it. As God the Son, You aren't afraid to say the hard things. You weren't afraid in John 6 that a lot of Your followers just packed up and walked away from You because your words were difficult for them to digest. I just pray for us here as we're listening. Maybe somebody is listening and here or it's on the live stream and they're teeter-tottering. They're considering coming to Christ. Somebody told them to listen to some church sermon. And uh, Lord, I just pray that you would just bring them over the finish line. That they would see this isn't a fairy tale faith. This isn't something that's fantasy. It's, it's real. It affects everything that we do and our being. Amen. Every generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. 
We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7 p.m. And Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to www.cccrossfields.org, where you can also watch or listen to previous messages. If you have any questions or have a prayer request, please email us at contact at cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless.